Hello, and welcome to Talking General Practice, the podcast from GP Online. I'm Emma Bauer, the editor of GP Online. Today on the podcast, I'm speaking to Dr. Davina Maru and Dr. Liam Loftus, who are both GP trainees and co-founder of the Big GP Consultation. Davina and Liam set up the Big GP Consultation as a platform for GP trainees and early career GPs to discuss their vision for general practice and to come up with ideas and solutions for how things could change to address some of the many challenges facing the profession, both now and in the future. In the conversation, we talk about why they set up the initiative, changes they would like to see to GP training, how new GPs could be better supported, and how they're hoping to get more engagement with the project to ensure the ideas they've come up with become a reality. I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Davina Maru and Dr. Liam Loftus to talk about an initiative they co-founded called the Big GP Consultation. Davina is a GP trainee in London and Liam is a GP trainee in Cambridge. They were both NHS England National Medical Directors Clinical Fellows for 2021-22. Davina and Liam set up the Big GP Consultation as a platform for GP trainees and early career GPs to collectively discuss their vision for general practice and how they could shape their future locally, regionally and nationally. The group's final report was published in September of this year. Thank you so much both for joining me. Thanks so much for having us. Fantastic. Thanks, Emma. It's great for the opportunity to speak to you today. We're talking about the big GP consultation, which you set up to put together a positive vision for the future of general practice. You're both currently training to be GP. So I suppose a really good place to start is to ask you, why did you choose general practice as a career? Davina, do you want to start with that? So as you correctly said, I'm still in training um, as a GP and I'm in my final year right now. So I did this fellowship, which was um, led by the Faculty of Management and Leadership um, during my second and third year. And that's where I met Liam and we were developing these leadership skills. And that's where we came up with this initiative. Um, But I initially chose general practices because I can pursue these types of portfolio roles. I could pursue my interest within leadership. I could do something different but still have the clinical side within general practice so that was the main reason I chose GP. And what about you Liam? For me I chose general practice almost because of that relationship that you can build with the patient in front of you that you have sat in your consulting room and within general practice it's not just them but also their family too and that's what really drew me to this um, specialty but alongside that very similar to Davina really how you As a GP, you have the opportunity to step back outside that consulting room and really think about how we structured services and how what we offer to patients within general practice, how we set that up. So for me, general practice was a perfect balance of that relationship with the patient and that sort of wider system thinking, really. Right. So you were both NHS England National Medical Directors Fellows. Um, Can you explain a bit more about what that role actually involves? What is that? So um, as you rightly mentioned, um, we were working as one of the National Medical Director Clinical Fellows, but we were put in um, different organisations. So I was um, within the Primary Care and Integrated Care Director at Care Quality Commission, and then Liam was at NHS England. But we had opportunities to work in various organisations, and hence I met Liam. Yeah, and I think the I think what drew us both to these fellowships was our interest in leadership and management within healthcare. So as part of this fellowship, you spend a year full time in many cases immersed in one of these national organisations. So as you said, I was at NHS England. I work with the primary care team there, and that was an incredible opportunity to see 
national policy making within general practice and within primary care more broadly meet so many inspirational people but as Davina said one of the best things was getting to meet other fellows there's a group of almost sort of 30 of you placed at all different organizations and it was through meeting Davina and some of the other fellows that we brought together our leadership team in order to run the big GP consultation sort of outside and separate to the fellowship. So Davina what was it that made you come up with this idea to do this consultation? It's really interesting because our fellowship was partly during the pandemic time. So the way we could meet um, people within the fellowship was via coffee Zoom chats. So the first time I actually met Liam was via coffee Zoom chat. And then we both kind of knew each other from a distance from social media because we were very active. We're general practice initiatives throughout our sort of training but we had never actually met before so it was nice because I recognized him but I'd never met him and then a conversation just well literally 30 minutes of conversation turned into this concept and idea and we both were passionate about the future of general practice and what is currently not working right now and how we can further improve that so that's how it actually led to it just coffee zoom chat during this pandemic time and passionate about the future the project obviously has produced a report with a number of recommendations and suggestions that we'll come on to talk about in a bit firstly how did you find the people to take part Liam were they all other fellows or were they just people you knew or were they people you knew were passionate about these kind of big ideas Building on what Davina said, really, what we were keen to do was something positive for the future. But in terms of who we wanted to speak to, we were quite specific about that. Throughout a lot of our leadership experience, we'd often spend time with mid and later career GPs who are often the people who are sat around these policy making tables. And we didn't always notice a lot of early career GPs or trainees like ourselves. So we thought actually there was quite a... There was almost some insight that we were missing there and some energy and some ideas to take forward. So that was essentially what we were trying to harness with this. So then when it came to finding people, we were quite specific about wanting to look at the the piece of the puzzle that is GP trainees and early career GPs. So what we did, we have a good amount of sort of like networks of our own up and down the country. So we start putting some feelers out saying, Who'd like to join us on this? Like, who'd like to come together and discuss the future of general practice if you're a trainee or a first five GP? So we did that through WhatsApp and social media. And within a couple of weeks, we had over 250 people signed up to take part in this initiative. So we thought, fantastic, we're we're onto something here. We We really have a sort of base with which we can harness and do something positive. When we came up with this concept and we had loads of people sign up, around that same time, the MPs basically had held an, a new inquiry about seeking written evidence about the future general practice. And we thought, oh, this is fantastic because the people who are going to submit the evidence are probably from going to be from national bodies, you know, health policy makers. But they're going to miss those trainees or the people who are working, like grassroots GPs who are working on the ground right now. And we believe that our platform would actually provide some evidence for that huge inquiry that was going on, but from trainees and early career GPs. So it was opportune time, actually. So you said you've got like about 250 early years and GP trainees taking part. So you ran a series of sessions looking at key issues. How did those sessions work and how did you kind of use them to gather the views that that you published? 
So we had five 90-minute Zoom sessions and we held it between February and May this year. And they all covered core themes within future of general practice, whether it's how we recruit, develop, retain our workforce, the role of things like health inequalities or sustainability within general practice, integrated care systems. And what we did was we invited expert speakers to open these sessions and they shared the insights on these topical issues. So some speakers to name like Dr. Nikki Kanani, Professor Dame Helen Stokes-Lampard, Professor Martin Marshall, just to name a few. And then after they discussed some insights into those specific areas, we broke up all the participants into facilitated breakout rooms where they would debate the future vision of general practice. And the facilitators were basically the big GP consultation team. And they captured all the views from these breakout rooms. We created infographics coupled with short reports. And that's how we can summarize that co-produced collaborative vision. You mentioned some of the topics that you you looked at in those sessions from the report. They were the role of GPs in integrated care, preparing the next generation of GPs, how to recruit and retain GPs, health inequalities. And then that last session covered greener practice, the primary secondary care interface and holistic medicine. So, Liam, I was just wondering, can you explain why you chose those topics to focus on? Why were those the five key areas you thought were important to look at? Great question. And I think one of the best parts about this work for Davina and I has been working in an incredible team of other junior doctors, most of which are GP trainees. So there's a team of about 11 of us who've been running this. So as this work was getting off the ground, we all got together and thought about ourselves as individuals, what is important to us for the future, but also thinking about the networks that we have around the country with our ears to the ground. What are we picking up that people are thinking of that? The, the big issues right now, but also the big opportunities that we can take going forward. And then within that, we wanted to focus on the things that were most pertinent to the next generation of GPs. So not just the things that are going to be important for the next two, three, four years, but the things that are important for the next 30, if not 40 years. And then from that, we were almost able to sort of create um, the titles for the sessions, the themes within them, and then the breakout room topics in order to try and harness those views of all of our participants. So if we get onto some of the recommendations you came up, because I I mean, I found this project really positive, the fact that it's young GPs coming up with ideas about things that could change and how things could change, really. We all know there's so many problems facing general practice at the minute. But one of the things that I thought was quite interesting is that you recommend that tackling health inequality should become a part of general practice's core business. And you also talk about the fact that it's important to recognise that providing holistic care means recognising the role that social determinants of health play alongside biomedical factors. Why do you think this is so important for the future of general practice? So this was something that came through really strongly during the big GP consultation. Um, It was something we heard a lot from our participants. And I think to try and distill this, there's a real recognition amongst our generation that what makes people healthy isn't just the healthcare that we offer them. So if you look at the studies, that maybe accounts for sort of 20% or so of what makes someone healthy, whereas actually it's these wider determinants, that the 80% that really make up someone's health and well-being. And that sort of alongside the recognition that sort of treating each 
condition individually, not taking into account the wider factors that a person experiences. So our participants said that's almost just like putting a sticking plaster on um, rather than treating somebody holistically. We almost sort of patch them up and then send them back to the conditions that made them unwell in the first place. And that didn't seem particularly satisfactory to our generation, nor did it seem like a good thing to do to our patients. So actually, they talked very positively about holistic care and the role that that should play going forward. One of the big questions that almost follows that is how? How do we do that as GPs? Um, and they, we had some really good ideas around that. So firstly, there's something about training. There's something that the feeling that we're trained very well clinically, but we often see clinical conditions in silos. We'll learn about hypertension one week and asthma the next week. Whereas actually our patients don't present like that. They present more and more with a multitude of these um, conditions. So how can we pull together all of that complex information and come up with a plan? Then secondly, there's something about those wider determinants of health. So housing, education, whether someone can make ends meet at the end of the month financially. As we know, they have a huge impact on health, but we don't know a lot about them in the GP record. So our participants were saying, well, if we know someone's HbA1c and how diabetic they are, but we don't know what their financial situation might look like when actually the latter might have just as much impact on their health as the former. So a real call to try and build some of this into the clinical record that we have. And then the final thing, which I think is really important, is the role that not just us as GPs play in this, but the wider multidisciplinary team. Thinking particularly about the roles um, that we've seen introduced in recent years, such as social prescribers, who are in a particularly good place to um, support some of our communities with these wider determinants of health. People spoke very positively about that and how we could work more closely with them in order to support them to deliver holistic care. And just to build on that, um, Liam and I, we both learned that during our fellowship time, health inequalities are largely preventable and cost currently like 36 to 40 billion right now. And in policy reports like the NHS long term plan, it really highlighted how the environment we actually live in, grow up, work, age, it, all of these decisions we make for ourselves and our families collectively have a bigger impact on health than healthcare alone. And um, reports like the Marmot Review that we were reading during the fellowship really provided this evidence of the importance of reducing health inequalities and not just concentrating on that purely clinical side. So it was nice to kind of hone in all these reports and literature and evidence and actually apply it to our everyday practice. And we wanted to share that with the next generation of GPs and really apply it to our future consulting. Another thing that comes through really strongly in the report is the importance of ensuring parity of esteem for general practice careers with those in secondary care. Now, this is something that we've written about a lot over the years, and it's something that has been a real issue, I think, for general practice for many years. How do you think we can do that? It's a really um, interesting question. GPs aren't currently legally recognised as specialists in the UK once they have qualified. And that's because we have the existence of two separate GMC registers for senior doctors. And there's many organisations like the RTGP, BMA, etc., who have really called to action to try and resolve this. Because most countries within Europe already legally recognise general practice as a speciality. So we feel that 
medical trainees need to have some mandatory placements within general practice to really understand the community pressures and demands because as as GP trainees we already have to have mandatory placements within hospitals so it needs to happen vice versa and I think respect will be gained as well so there's kind of two parts to it swapping roles and working in each other's environment and also being recognized as a specialist because we are you mentioned maybe having a consultation on dropping the name GP in favour of an alternative such as specialist in family medicine. Liam, why is that something you think needs to be looked at? So this was something that came directly from our participants. They felt that one of the reasons for this sort of disparity is almost a lack of recognition of specialist skills amongst the public, yes, but also amongst other medics too. And these, this creates some of the problems that you talked about before that primary secondary care interface tension that actually creates a whole host of challenges. One of the productive things that we could do in this space that participants felt would be a good thing would be to consult on the name. At the moment, we have the, the Royal College of General Practitioners, we're known as general practitioners, but that name in and of itself, participants felt, doesn't really recognize the specialist skills that we have. One of the uh, potential terms put forward that participants would like to explore would be a specialist in family medicine, recognizing that yes, we look after individuals, but we look after families too. And that's what draws a lot of people to the profession. So I don't think we're going to sit here and say, oh, we have the perfect name to come up with and we suggest everyone moves to that. But actually starting that process of consulting on whether the name general practitioners truly represents us at the moment was felt to be quite an important step for the future of general practice and of GPs. You've mentioned training and changes that you feel should be introduced to GP training to better equip new GPs for their role are really kind of quite key to this report. The report talks about lots of things, particularly the fact that general practice really is about multidisciplinary working now. And one of the things that you said needs to change in training is making sure GPs would qualify with the skills to provide clinical supervision and also to be leaders. I was wondering if you could perhaps talk through some of your group's thoughts on these particular areas. That's something that came back again quite strongly from the next generation, that a positivity about working in multidisciplinary teams and a recognition that we as GPs at the moment, we can't do absolutely everything. And there's lots of specialist skills that sit within general practice and within primary care more broadly, that if we work together effectively, we can offer a much better service to our patients. That said, they felt that sort of as things stand, we don't always work as effectively together as we could. So when we drill down into why within these sessions, our participants told us that they don't always know the baseline skills of each role we have in the practice. We don't always know what type of patients they do and don't see. And even at a very local level, sort of within our PCN, we don't always know how to refer into them on the systems or whether we speak to them in person. So falling out of this came some really good ideas from our participants. So firstly, over the longer term, they spoke very favorably around interprofessional education. So that's learning by, with and from other professions rather than putting GPs in a silo classroom and far away from everyone else. So that might be when you're learning about knee pain, you have your physio talking through some of the anatomy and your clinical pharmacist talking through some of the pain management. So at the time we're learning the same clinical topic, but also learning about the other roles in our profession too. And that could really unlock some potential. 
And then there was also in terms of working more effectively together, there was something quite strong that came out around supervision. So there's almost an expectation within general practice at the moment that we have these additional roles. Um, and it's almost the role of the GP in order to offer supervision to them, clinical supervision. And if we look at other specialties that do this, say emergency medicine, they have it, it's something they do commonly and it's very much built within their training how to supervise other roles effectively, whether that be junior members of the team or whether that be different roles. But as things stand within general practice, that isn't training that we receive, despite the fact that we are expected to supervise um, the people that we work alongside. So another key thing that came out would be if we can take that sort of future view and say, well, actually, we are moving towards more multidisciplinary working. GPs quite often are expected to provide this supervision. Let's train them as effectively as we can in these supervision techniques and give them the models that are really helpful for doing so. If we, do, if we get that right, we can work really more effectively within our MDT. We're really expected to mentor and supervise these additional roles within our own clinic time. So you're just doing it as an adjunct to your everyday role, which can actually eventually lead to burnout because you're trying to do your own clinic. You're supervising someone who's just knocked on your door or, you know, trying to help with the additional roles and it can become too much. And that's why a lot of the future generation participants, they wanted protected time and and for some of them who were already qualified, they wanted adequately reimbursed time for this as well. One of the things you did touch on as well, though, uh, which I wanted to, to bring in about the multidisciplinary team, we talk a lot about continuity. And obviously, it's becoming increasingly recognised that continuity of care is really important for outcomes. And one of the things that report that you've put out mentions is that the way to kind of achieve continuity to have effective multidisciplinary working and I wondered if you could explain a bit more about what people said about that. Well continuity of care was a top priority for our participants and some of them actually described it as the cornerstone of general practice and why many actually came into the job just like Liam, Liam mentioned at the very beginning but it's really difficult to provide this in practice with short appointment times and even though we are working with these multidisciplinary roles it's fantastic they've really provided us with a lot of help but sometimes GPs are found to deal with the very complex and the more simple cases have gone to the additional roles so they can't really fit it the GPs can't do it in 10 minutes because they're very complex it leads to constant running behind in clinic and then you burn out because you're doing this day in, day out. So we need to actually be a bit more flexible within our system, increase appointment times if they are more complex. You know, you want to add in that holistic care. You want to continually see the same patient so they can actually see that same GP as well and actually have better outcomes. You're right, Davina. I think all, all of this is very much linked together. And on the, the continuity point specifically, as Davina says, we heard strongly that that is very much a priority for our generation, but they feel sort of long gone are the days where you as your community GP are around 24 hours a day, seven days a week in order to meet the needs of your community. That isn't a sustainable model of general practice um, for our generation as things stand. That said, we don't want to lose that continuity element. We want it to be front and centre. And that's where this idea of team-based continuity of care comes in. So rather than seeing a GP, the same GP, all the time for every problem that you might have, 
you might see the same small team within a practice that might consist of, yes, the GP, but also the, our clinical pharmacists for some of your prescribing questions and our physios for some of your musculoskeletal problems. And then you develop relationships with a few members of the practice who have the specialist skills needed in order to meet your needs. The move away from specific GP continuity of care, accepting that they won't be there 24 seven, and more towards that small team-based continuity of care. It really felt that our participants were in favour of that and thought it could be very workable and sustainable going forward. You say that there needs to be some kind of change so that newly qualified GPs don't burn out straight away. I mean, you've mentioned burnout a couple of times, Davina. I mean, is burnout among newly qualified GPs a real problem that you're concerned about? Yeah, so we, we heard it loud and clear from our participants. Many newly qualified GPs are burnt out. And that really comes to fruition that we need to change this rigid system that we have within general practice. We need, whether it's flexible appointment timings, whether it's um, working in a more team-based community approach so you're not bombarded all the time with seeing those patients developing a bit of well-being within your practice and really, for example, one example was doing admin tasks in a communal area instead of being isolated in your room all the time. Um, you know, the work, the workload is huge and the negative media coverage sometimes doesn't help and it leads to that loss of intrinsic motivation. So yeah, there's loads of things that can be tackled, but it's great that People are speaking about it and not suffering in silence, um, but we actually now need to act upon it. There was almost something that we heard from participants as well about the sort of a, a kind of a golden thread that was underlying this. And that was almost a, a lack of feeling prepared for the role of the modern day GP. So they talk about how they will finish training and then they will go into their role as a GP and feel quite unprepared for the demands of the job and for what it entails. And that leads to additional stress and then that leads to burnout and then that leads to them either reducing their hours or leaving the profession completely. When you sort of dig into what is it that's underlying this, why do they feel unprepared? It's almost twofold. So first of all, they tell us how they feel prepared for the job that existed 10 to 20 years ago, maybe, but less so the job that exists today. And that's due to things like remote consulting. We see more people remotely than we do face-to-face at the moment, but it doesn't really feature within our training. There's also something about complexity of care in there as well, as Davina and yourself, Emma, have talked about. Cases are getting more complex, but we don't necessarily have the wraparound training to deal with the complexity. And then thirdly, something about leadership and management as well. Our participants telling us that being able to lead and manage within and sometimes even beyond your practice is now core to the role of the modern day GP, whereas maybe it wasn't always previously. They tell us how a baseline set of skills within leadership and management is almost as important as a baseline set of skills within dermatology, for example. And without them, they feel unprepared for the job. Another element which came out really strongly, which was that transition between being a trainee and being a fully fledged GP. Um, That's important to a lot of people and felt that actually this some really practical things we can do within that. So if you take the the last six months of the training, when you've finished your RCA, you've done your exams, 
people spoke about how in some practices they move towards a, a more apprenticeship style of training. So they almost have the, the lead extended a little bit and the supervisor is gradually withdrawing some of that supervision. So they have a nice smooth transition in a way that's safe for patients, but also very developmental for the, the trainee. This may involve doing things like supervised duty doctor sessions. So it doesn't feel like day one post CCT, you have your life jacket removed. That's really interesting, actually. But again, that's kind of sort of suggests that GP training hasn't really kept up with how general practice has changed. And it has changed so rapidly in the last few years. MRR participants very much recognise that. So they one of them used a really nice phrase, which was, we're almost shooting at a moving target here. So as soon as you catch up with the role, the, the demands of the modern day GP, they, they change. Yeah. So what we tried to do in this work was rather than look at the next year or two, was to look at the next 10 years, 20 yeah. years and say, well, what do we feel as a generation are going to be those big things on the horizon? And how can we plan for them now proactively to make sure we do fit the role of the modern day GP, whichever modern day that might be. Sustainability is becoming more and more important. And there's much more of a recognition now that the climate emergency is a health emergency as well. So what did the group have to say about how greener practice should fit into the modern day GP's role? That was a topic that our participants were hugely passionate about. And they really wanted to do their bit towards the 2045 net zero. And they would be happy to have it incorporated within the curriculum and see more communication around that. They also felt that the links between climate change and health and sustainable healthcare practices should actually be taught from all levels, from medical school to GP training all the way through to GP trainers and things like the investment impact fund talking about the inhalers that we can use to reduce the carbon footprint all of that should actually be taught within training but we only know about it well Liam and I because of our fellowship and we were involved in these national policies but it should be out there in the curriculum already and it was also felt that GPs should use their trusted voice to really advocate for climate change and health issues and educate the public, for example, on reducing contributions to and avoiding exposure to air pollution, for example. And that's when it comes all down to holistic care and air pollution and health inequalities. It's all linked in a weird and wonderful way, but that's how you start discussing the socioeconomic factors of health. We've talked about some of the recommendations in the report. What do you hope to happen now? What's, what are you doing with the report? Who are you speaking to and what do you hope will come from it? Excellent question, Emma. And I think what this work has been excellent for has been bringing together people in this generation and really gaining a whole host of insight and generating quite tangible ideas to take forward. And as we've touched upon today, these ideas can happen at national level, they can happen at regional system level, right the way through to within practices and PCNs. So what we're trying to do is think about how we can best bring about sort of positive change on the back of this. So I guess our next steps are almost threefold. So firstly, sharing these findings as widely as we can. We know that this next generation are an important piece of the puzzle when designing the future of general practice. So we feel our role now is to try and get that message out there as, as widely as we can. And secondly, is to continue some of those national conversations that we, we mentioned very briefly earlier, Emma. And that's with organisations across the system. With this work being a sort of independent piece, sitting outside of these organisations, what we've really been able to do is sort of 
honestly collect what we've heard from our participants and take them back to these organizations and say, this is what we collectively feel is important. And there's some great ideas and some great insight here that can really shape some of your work streams. We're very happy to work with you collaboratively to try and bring some of this to life. So those conversations have been fantastic. We very much plan for those to continue. And then the final thing of our sort of three, threefold plan almost is to, to try and hand something back to our participants and our trainees and early career GPs around the country. They've come to us with loads of brilliant insight and ideas. And what we wanted to do as a team was to try and pick out some of those really key ideas and then support people within their practices and within their PCNs to actually go and put them into practice. So as we've, we've talked about some really key things around improving MDT working, around improving leadership and management training, around tackling health inequalities, we've built a toolkit around some of these key ideas that give people very practical steps on how they can do this in their practice. So you want to improve MDT working. Here's some resources that you might want to discuss at your practice meetings where we pull in each member of the team and ask them about their role, the types of patients they see, how you're referring, to, for example. Um, so really sort of give these resources back to people who are working in practices and PCNs to make some improvement. I think almost above all, one legacy that we've seen from this almost is how powerful it can be to involve the next generation in some of these conversations about the future. This is the future, as we've said, that they'll be working in for 30, if not 40 years. So trying to harness the ideas, harness the insight, but also harness the engagement as well and make them see that actually the future isn't something that happens to you. It's something you can play an active part in creating. I think that's quite powerful as well. And that's something we want to continue with this work. If you do want to check out the toolkit, it's on www.thebiggpconsultation.co.uk. So if you do get a chance to have a look at it. And um, also our social media, Twitter is at BigGPConsults. You can find out more updates or more infographics and reports that you might want to divulge into. But we really hope that this work will provide an important piece of the puzzle to inform future policy development and to ensure that our voice is heard as the next generation. What we've sort of almost developed within the Big GP consultation is a sort of community of people around the country who are the next generation and who are engaged. So we have developed our social media, we've developed our website with lots of links back to us in terms of if you do pick this up and run with it, then we want to support and we want to hear about it. So our plan is to very much see how that lands with our, amongst our peers around the country, see what comes back and then shape our future plans based on that. It must take a lot of your energy and time to do this. It's a big commitment from you guys, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. I mean, we did work in the evenings or weekends doing this, but we were so passionate about it and it was well worth it. So I think, yeah, 100% worth it. Exactly. And one of the best things about this, as we mentioned before, is the team that we've had alongside us doing this. There's 11 junior doctors around the country with a range of experiences that are each brought their own piece to this and as what has made it what it is today. So that has been a hugely positive aspect of this. And we certainly wouldn't have been able to do it without all of the energy and enthusiasm that the rest of the team brought to. I think this is such a positive initiative that you're doing. Fantastic. Thank you both for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having us. Thank it's you. an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Emma. Thank you for having us. And it's been great to share what we've done with you. 
Before we finish this week, just a quick reminder of an upcoming one-day event by our sister website, MIMS Learning. MIMS Learning Live takes place on Thursday, the 10th of November in Liverpool. It features two clinical learning streams and topics that will be covered include chronic kidney disease, type 2 diabetes, mental health and women's health, all of which will be presented by expert speakers. The event is free for GPs and other healthcare professionals. So for more information and to register your place, visit mimslearninglive.com. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. And thanks again to Davina and Liam for speaking with me this week. I'm back next week when I'll be joined by our news editor, Nick Bostock, to talk about some of the key news stories affecting primary care. In the meantime, you can catch up with all the latest news and access a wealth of other resources on our website, gponline.com. 